0: it's great to be with you this morning now that junior high video earlier today was absolutely ridiculous that was (laughs) was hilarious I loved it it was great well uh, welcome to Seacoast it's good to be here with you to celebrate this great American holiday together today Uh, it is uh, in case you don't know what I'm talking about it's Super Bowl Sunday if you didn't know so, um we, we might as well we might as well get it over with. all right, Seahawks, who's going for seahawks in here? Wow. All right. how about uh, uh, patriots? <laughs> Forgive them, father, they know not what they do. Uh, <laughs> My, uh, so my family, uh, my parents moved up to Seattle area, my brother lives there, my wife was born and raised there, and so this is the second year in a row that uh, we've been able to celebrate this. And I realized last year on Super Bowl Sunday, I was preaching, and I don't know um, how that worked, but we ended the service in prayer, and for the Seahawks, just saying, uh <laughs> So I fought Dale for this one. I said, "Dale, I really needed to speak today." <laughs> so, but anyway, um, this is this is kind of a fun day. I'm going to do something totally different right now. Um, we weren't planning this, but um, is anyone in? It? We're in the middle of a series called Go, and it's just we're trying to be people who know as we go. As we're walking throughout life, we want to be people who are bringing the message of Jesus to everyone we encounter. It's not about go and be a missionary. It's, hey, we are already going. And one of the things that we do here at at Seacoast is we want to be people who are engaged in culture and, and participating in things that the culture does, but in a way to show the love of Jesus while we're doing it. So I need to know, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Is anyone in here hosting a Super Bowl party where you are being very intentional about it and saying, Hey, we wanted to do this because we wanted to kind of invite some friends and be a presence in their lives, and we wanted to use this. I know I'm totally putting you on the spot, and I don't want us to make make us look like we don't do anything fun. And this doesn't count if it's just you inviting you your your family. Um, this is, are you anyone doing an intentional Super Bowl party today in this room? Yeah, we have some. Anyone else? I know there's some more out there. Okay, okay. Well, here's here's what we have here. Someone in the church said that they want to help fund some of these Super Bowl parties. Seriously, I know, you can give it to me later. All right, so. (laughs) Anyone else having a party? No, yeah, (laughs) yeah. How many of you are coming back second service and Allison, you'll be on the phone like, can you come to my house, somebody? We had someone in the church who said, "Hey, uh, they had to work today, and said they want, and so they would have used this money to host a party for people they knew, and said so. Since I can't do it, I want to help others who are already doing that intentionally. So I thought that was really cool, and it fits pretty well because today we're talking about the gospel, which is a free gift given to us. So I thought it tied in pretty well. So anyway, there you go, and and you can do whatever you want with that. Uh, you can give it to someone else or or whatever you want to do. But anyway." So today, yes, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, Seahawks are in the Super Bowl, which a, a couple weeks ago, and if you follow football, you will know, a couple weeks ago, I, my, my son had a tournament down in Chula Vista, a baseball tournament. I was driving there and listening to the Seahawks game on the radio. And when Russell Wilson, who's their quarterback, threw his fourth interception... They were losing by two touchdowns, and they had three and almost four minutes left in the game. And I just, I turned it off and said, well, it was a good run. And I was, you know, I was down at Chula Vista anyways, and I had to, you know, go watch uh, my son's game. So I turned it off and said, it's okay, it's over. And And I went in to watch the game. And those of you who do follow football, you will know... That kind of something crazy happened. About 25 minutes later, I pulled out my phone just to pull up the update because that's what we do as fans, right? Even though we know it's misery, it's like, just show me how bad it is anyway. And I pulled it up, and the headline said, Seattle uh, surmounts an improbable comeback. And I just thought, like, wait, what? That's, no, they didn't. You can't do that. you kidding me. So I, and I looked it deeper, and I found out they, they won, so I called my wife who was at home, and and she's like, the phone's ringing, people on Facebook are all, everyone's saying, Seahawks won, as if they don't know at that point, right? But it's kind of funny how all the fans just started calling each other and saying, like, we won, I can't believe it. And, and it reminded me, in college, I actually lived in Seattle, and there was this playoff game with the Seattle Mariners, it's a, it's, they have a baseball team, and uh, and <laughs> so their team... Uh, was playing the Yankees in the playoffs and they were losing two games to zero and they came back and won three games in a row and I was at those games and in the last game they went in the bottom of the 12th inning they were losing they come back and they won it and I remember walking through the streets of Seattle an hour after the game and it was crazy everywhere people were just running around you got to remember this is Seattle not a whole lot of championships up there and this was just a playoff series, but they were running around. There's like people coming up to me, hugging me and saying, Mariners won, man, I love you. <laughs> just like, I don't know who you are, but great. I'm glad you love me. But I got to thinking, you know, fans were kind of crazy, aren't we, when it comes to our teams when they win. It doesn't take long for these messages to spread. It doesn't, it's not hard to share that good news. It wasn't unusual that a couple weeks ago when the Seahawks made this huge comeback, that everyone in Seattle were on Facebook telling the world that they won. And yes, I am using this as a (laughs) tie-in to our spirituality. And I'm not going to be so naive to compare it and say, we should be so passionate about Jesus Christ that we run through the streets screaming it out. Now, should we? Probably, if we really encountered God and and thought about the majesty of God, maybe that would be our response. But we do know that there's some cultural realities that probably that wouldn't work so well. But this morning what we want to talk about is what is the message of good news that we're talking about as Christians. And how, what is that story that we do want to share? And how should that affect how we share it? Now we're in the middle of a series called Go, so we'll be working on this week after week and some specifics of how we can share this message. But today what we want to look at specifically is what is this message? What is good news when we talk about it in Scripture? See, good news in Scripture, we use this word of sharing the good news. Maybe you've heard it before. It's really this word that's translated gospel throughout Scripture. The Greek word euangelion means the good news or a message of good news. And so when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about a message of good news. And this message is one that Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I have it on the screen for you. Paul writes this when he's talking about the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel or of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, for everyone. So today we want to look at this message of good news and ask, how can we have this attitude that paul has how can we look at this message of good news and say i'm not ashamed of that message because we understand the power that's in this message paul also says in 1 corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 he's talking about one of the things for us he says hey let man regard us in this manner In this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God, and he goes on to actually refer to, we are taking care of the mystery or the message about God, the good news. It's something that's part of our identity. Servants of God, we're stewards of the good news or bearers of the message. And so today, as we look at this, we want to ask, what is this message? How does this change us? And how do we kind of share it? We're going to explore this message of good news and how that understanding will shape us today. So join me in prayer before we really jump in. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for uh, just for having fun together as a family of faith. Uh, We thank you for this message of good news and how it's changed many of our lives. And God, for anyone in here this morning who's still exploring and wondering if you are real, what this message is, I pray today you'd speak to them, that you'd help them uh, maybe for the first time open their eyes to the message that you are sharing, the good news about you. So we thank you, God, and I ask that right now you'd speak through me. Let this be about you. In your name, amen. Before we di- dive in and really look at this met- this idea of the concise message of the good news or the gospel. What Before we really look at what is this that we can share with others, what I want to do is take just a couple minutes. It's a couple preacher minutes, so give me some grace there. And, and to kind of walk you through what the story of Scripture is, because to understand why we call the message of Jesus good news, we want to kind of take a step back and see what the greater story throughout Scripture is. And then what we're going to do is take... Just one verse in scripture today and look at that and see how it points to why this message of Jesus is good news. And before we even do that, you may be here this morning and say, Hey, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And you may feel like you just walked into a meeting about you. (laughs) When we're talking about those of us who follow, talking about how we can share this message with those who do not. And you might be sitting there saying, okay, so I'm going to hear what you want me to know. And I want you to know that, yes, we do want you to know this. Because we do believe this is good news. And we believe when you hear why we are passionate about this good news, that it will help you understand who we are as followers of Christ. So we are glad you are here. We don't want you, though, on the other hand, to feel like we look at you as a project. You are not our project. Your friends, your family member, for those of you who are our followers of Jesus, your friends and family members are not your project to convert. They're not. They're God's project to convert. Just as much as you are God's project and he's working on you and calling you to faithfulness. So as we follow and learn to share, that's not about us helping people become Christians. It's about God working in our lives and changing us. We're the project and they're God's project. So, nobody, none of the people, we're not looking at others who do not yet believe and saying, like, ooh, I can't wait to change your life. No. I can't wait for God to get a hold and let them realize the truth that I've realized as God changes and shapes me. So, we do not look at anyone as a project except for ourselves. (laughs) And God has a lot of work to do on a lot of us, does He not? So, anyway, there we go. So, here's the story of God. And this is a story of scripture that we need to understand why the message is good news. We want to find the greater story. So here it is quickly. The story of God begins in the very beginning. It says, in the beginning, God. So all of our scriptures begin with this idea that everything flows from God. It begins with God. And it says, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. So the story is, we have a creator God who creates all things. He moves on and he creates hu- humanity. When he, he creates mankind, he creates us in his image. It doesn't mean he makes us little gods, but the one part, piece of creation that has a capacity to be like God and to reflect his character is mankind. We have the capacity for relationship. We have the capacity for reason. We have the capacity to make decisions. We have, we have all these things that reflect the character of God. So he makes us, and he makes mankind and says, This is good. And mankind has this picture then as we are running around the Garden of Eden, which is a picture of paradise. There's no separation between mankind and God. We enjoy a perfect relationship with him, and that is, and the creation is very good. And then something happens, and man makes a decision. See, there's one thing that God did not want mankind to do, and that was to take from this tree, so don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, was it an actual tree with actual fruit? I don't know. Was it a regular tree that he says this is going to symbolize something? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But what matters is something happened here that represents that mankind made a decision to go against what God wanted. Now some of you might say, well, I think it's dumb that God gave them an option that he didn't want them to take. And that one option, God said, is do not take from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, think through what this actually means. It was, I don't want you to take on the ability to make judgments on what is good and what is bad. Because though you're created in the image of God, the one thing you do not have is you are not omniscient. You're not all-knowing. You're not all-powerful and you're not omnipresent. You have an incomplete view of the world no matter what. And the one thing a judge needs to be able to do to have judgment is to have a complete view of things. And humanity will never be able to rightly make judgments. So the one thing we wanted, we wanted to be like God. And the very first result of that decision to say, God, we want that power too. The very first thing we felt was shame. Sin entered in. We no longer had this freedom to experience life without any, severance, or without any separation between us and God. We now are separated. And why? Because look what happens. When we make the decision to say, we want to be able to judge between good and bad, all of a sudden... We looked at people differently. In came shame. In came envy. In came jealousy. Anger. Impatience. Lust. Greed. All of these things now, because now maybe you don't measure up. Maybe I don't measure up. Hey, before sin, Adam and Eve were running around the garden of Eden naked and unashamed, and they were saying, this is very good. At least man was. And and. And sin came in. They said, hey, we want to be able to judge what is good and what is bad. And the very first thing they did is they said, oh my goodness, I'm naked. I don't want you to see me this way. All of a sudden, they realized their handles had a little too much love on them. You know, and, and we were making these judgments. No longer could we measure up to each other. And sin enters in and sin flows. So God creates us in this perfect state. And then we all sin. Now some would say, hey Ryan, it's not fair that Adam and Eve sinned and now I have to bear the burden of that. So let's take a moment away from theology for a second and say, okay, let's say they didn't sin. Have you ever experienced greed, anger, jealousy, lust, deceit, anything? Okay, you have a sin nature, good. So forget if, if it was handed down or not, we've got it. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 that, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have sinned. Now we experience judgment, shame, guilt, envy, jealousy, all those things. We lose paradise. We lose that separation. God removes us from paradise. Even in removing us, it was an act of mercy, though, because the one thing that could happen in paradise is we could take from the tree of life and live forever. And God said, no, 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 no. You are now in a sinful life. I do not want you to live forever in your sinful states. So even in the punishment, it actually was an act of mercy. And from that point on, God initiated a plan to restore creation to himself. The rest of scripture is a story of God calling one family, Abraham's family, that becomes a nation of Israel, to be a picture of how he is working to restore and redeem creation, ultimately coming in his son, Jesus Christ, the only perfect human. To come and replace the sin. Or to die for the sin for us. And we don't have time to get into the theology of that. But it's a rich theology. That is the quick story of scripture. So why, what is the good news that we talk about in that? Because when I share with some of my friends who do not yet believe. I don't usually start with, oh you're an awful sinner that you fall short of the glory of God. Though it may be true. But what is the message of good news? How can we understand it more succinctly? One uh, Christian author and, and pastor says this. Tim Keller writes this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet we are at the very same time more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Isn't that great? So one way to think of the gospel. Hey, we are all more flawed than you ever would believe but we're more accepted than you ever dare hope. You know, as I was looking through Scripture and trying to think, what is one passage or one verse that could really capture this? What is the thing that we base an understanding of, this message of good news? The fact that we are fallen, the fact that we need God, what is it that can help us know what is the message? I'm going to ask you to turn with me to a familiar verse for many of you. Because I think this one verse tells us the story. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. I even have it on the screen, even though I want you to turn to it. But look at here, and let's read this together. Ready? All right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you don't like getting into all the nuts and bolts of theology, if you say, Ryan, I just what is the gospel message? What is the good news? Memorize this, and you got it. And you have it. Today what I want to do is take this verse, phrase by phrase, and show you what I mean. So join with me as we get going here. Okay, so the first one is this, for God. For us to understand the gospel, we need to begin understanding that it is actually a good news about God. It begins with God. It is, the gospel, the good news, is not about you, believe it or not. It isn't. Is it good news for us? It is good news for us. But it begins with an understanding of it comes from God. The message of good news is for God. God. It wasn't for humanity needed or because humankind realized that we were falling short, so we needed something more. It wasn't because we were so wise in ourselves that we reached out to God. No, no, no. It's the gospel begins, the good news begins with for God loved. The gospel is not about you, it's not about me. As soon as we try to be good enough or say that we're not good enough for the gospel Either way, we're making it about ourselves. And it's not. It begins with God. It's about His goodness. It's about His love for His creation. It reminds us that in the beginning, God created. It starts with God. We must start as we think of what is our message. Let's remember it flows from God, the Father, the Creator, who loves and cares. And every time we start mixing ourselves into it, what we deserve, what we don't deserve, we're trying to make it about us. And it really, that will never work out. We miss the point. It's about God. That's why it's good news. So it begins with him, for God. Next phrase, so loved the world. It's the Creator God loving his creation. You know, when we walk through life, the people we interact with are people that the Creator God loves. Sometimes that's really hard to accept. (laughs) Sometimes it's really hard to understand. But the people you interact with are people the Creator God loves. You may say, but you don't know (laughs) the people I interact with. And that might be true, I don't, but I do know the creator God and I know he loves his creation. And I can find nowhere in scripture where he limits his love to a particular group. I can't find where he, where he says, oh, I, 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 I only love the Americans or I only love the Republicans or only the Democrats or only the Protestants or only the Catholics. No, no. God loves his creation. It's not just the good ones. His love isn't limited. He's a creator God and he looks at his creation with love. Yes, this does mean that he loves people in other countries and other places. He loves patriot fans. He loves teams that cheat to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, (laughs) I'm just kidding. He doesn't. No, yeah, he doesn't. (laughs) See, God isn't limiting his love to anyone. We tend to look through life and say, yeah, he loves, he especially loves those who follow him. Really? I think he's honored by those who follow him, but he doesn't especially love you over someone else. His love goes to all sides. God loves the heterosexuals and the homosexuals. God loves the prostitutes. God loves the people on Wall Street who maybe are cheating to get by. He loves them. He cares for them. God loves the Protestants and the Catholics. And God loves the Muslims of the world. It's his creation. He didn't just create the people in America who who are Christians. He loves his creation. The good news is there's a creator God who actually loves his creation. So the people you interact with, as we look at them, we need to look at them and realize, wow, God loves this person way more than I ever could. A while back, uh, we, we have a, a clay wheel that someone donated to us. And, and um, I, for a while, was trying to get into making clay things um, on the wheel. And I don't know if you've ever tried to make clay things on a wheel. Those of you who are good at it, you're like, it's so easy. What's wrong with you? um i I like studied youtube and and i saw these things and what they would tell you to do is they said just take your lump of clay slap it in the middle and then they say just center it by putting your hands down and you center it and then you make your vase and then you're done and and it takes them like 18 seconds and i'd take this lump of clay and i'd throw it on there and and then i'd center it so i'd be like like this (laughs) has anyone ever tried this before Okay, good. You guys can relate. The rest of you, seriously, this is how it goes. And you go like this, and I kind of start to get it centered, and my centering is like this. And I just say, fine, close enough. <laughs> and then you, you stick your thumbs in to try to make these cups or whatever. So I started making cups, and I kind of stick my thumb in and get it going up a little bit, and it's more like this. And, and you know, the base is thick, and up here it's thin. And I get kind of to the end, and it would just be like this wobbly thing with a pore spout is what it would end up having. So I would try and try to get better, and eventually I'd just say, like, oh, that's cool. I like it. It's kind of like my own unique brand. <laughs> and we'd bring it to my friend who actually is a, a great ceramicist. She's been uh, displayed at the Pageant of the Masters the last couple of years, so, like, high level. And we'd bring it to her kiln, and she'd, I'd go, like, can you fire my cup? And she's, like, <laughs> Ryan. Um, and, and, and more than once, she'd say, we need to have a lesson. <laughs> Like, what's my cup? I was like, hey, this and she would just kind of like, I'll fire it, but it's not going to work. Um, but here's the thing. I was the creator of that cup. And I looked at it, and you know what? I sometimes was frustrated that the cup wasn't centering itself the way it was supposed to. <laughs> but at the end, I said, that's cool, though. This is my cup. Is it flawed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did someone else look at it and say, that's kind of a messed up cup? Yeah, Maybe. <laughs> But I looked at it and said, but this is pretty cool. It's my creation. I made this. It's neat. I want to be able to drink out of something that I made because I think that's pretty cool. You know, I think sometimes we think God looks at us as a clay wheel. And he shapes us. And some of us, many of us are pretty much like this, right? <laughs> and we think God's just going to go, oh, squeeze that together, slap it down, and start over. But I really believe our creator looks at us and says, I know you're messed up. I made you. Is this as good as you could be? No. But I'm working on you. He hasn't fired us in the kiln yet. He's still shaping us a little. But the point is a creator looks at creation and God so loved the world. The world. And by the way, the Greek word there means the cosmos. It's his creation. It's not limited. It's not limited. So God so loved the world that he gave He gave, see the crux of the message is this. It doesn't go back to God so loved the world that he expected something from us. God so loved the world that he laid out a plan that we could walk a bunch of steps to get to him. No, he gave us something because he loved us. The good news is God gave. Again, it starts and flows from God the Father. He gave a gift. If you give someone something, that's called a gift. It comes for free. Paul reminds us that time and again. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 is probably the most clear. I don't have this for you. You can write it in your notes if you want. It talks about the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift given from grace through faith, not by your works. It's a gift. It flows from God. What is the good news? That God loves His creation. He gave His Son. So this is where we get into the theology of it a little bit. He gave His Son. So what happens is God enters into humanity as a human to experience life like us, but also to give us a way for our sins to be forgiven. Now, some would say, and I've had people say, I don't get it, why would God... Why do you do a sacrificial system that sounds so like, you know, 2,000 years ago? And I say, you're right, <laughs> it was. <laughs> if Jesus entered in humanity right now for the first time to redeem us, would it be a sacrifice? I don't know. It's part of the system that was set up. But we don't have to worry about that because he came in a world where sacrificial system made sense and God was a just God and sin- the price of sin was that blood had to be shed. So Jesus, when he entered in, it made perfect sense culture-wise, culturally. So sometimes in our twentieth, 21st century minds, people will say, well, that's barbaric. Like, yeah, it was a barbaric world. And it made perfect sense when Jesus came. He came and paid the price for our sins because humanity would never be able to do it ourselves. Throughout scripture, we see that God uses this phrase and says that He's a redeemer. Here we have in Isaiah 44, verse 6. I have it on the screen for you. Referring to it, it says, Thus says the Lord of God, the King of Israel and his redeemer, Israel's redeemer, the Lord of hosts, says, I am the first and the last. There is no God beside me. So here in scripture, we see that God refers to himself as the redeemer. Saying, I am the first and the last. Jesus uses the same phrase. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last equals the Redeemer. Again, in Isaiah 59, verse 20, it says this. We have it up here for you as well. A Redeemer will come to Zion, and those who turn from the transgressions in in Jacob, that's talking about the nation there, declares the Lord. So a Redeemer is coming. So when Jesus comes, he's coming with this title of a Redeemer. Now one thing that's really interesting when we think of Jesus Christ as a redeemer is the actual definition of to redeem. Here's a definition of redeem. It's to compensate for the false or inadequate aspects of something. To gain or regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. So to compensate for the inadequate aspects of something is to redeem. A redeemer is somebody who compensates for something that falls short. So God sends his son to compensate for us. God comes down and stands in my place to compensate for all the areas of my life where I fall short. Notice what God does not do. He doesn't come down and say, Ryan, make yourself measure up to my standard. No, he comes down and stands in my place. The good news is God is doing this work. Is this fair? Uh Uh-uh. It's not fair at all. It's ridiculous. But Jesus comes and stands in my place. And whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Anyone who believes. In Scripture, when we have belief, that's not just believing that something is true. It was assumed that you would believe. Belief here is to entrust or put your faith in something. One way to think of this one is to entrust your spiritual well-being in this case. So anyone who entrusts their spiritual well-being to Jesus can have eternal life. Doesn't that sound kind of easy? God gives a gift of his son who will stand in my place where I fall short and what I have to do is entrust that that's good enough. I'm not making this up. It's in scripture. I would make it way more logical. (laughs) That's the good news. That's why it's the good news. Because it takes you out of the equation. It takes me out of the equation. And it says this is about God. See, the gospel, the good news, is that God stands in our place. That God is good enough. So how can this good... And, and, and by the way, don't confuse sanctification with salvation now those are two big christian words (laughs) salvation is our spiritual standing before god god saves us from our sinful selves jesus stands in our place all we do is entrust that he's good enough that's done but don't confuse that then god's like okay cool jesus does say now go and sin no more in other words start to become like me but that has no bearing on your eternal status as it relates to justification you're already in God's eyes forgiven. Again, doesn't make sense. Does he want you to change and be in his likeness? Of course he does. Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Because no, your sin can never be more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross, ever, ever, ever. So no matter how much sin you have, Jesus' grace will abound more. Then Paul says, so should we go on and sin so that we get more grace? He says, no, idiot. (laughs) Seriously, look it up. (laughs) We like to say, come as you are, but for God's sake, don't stay that way. (laughs) So, the message is good news to us that Jesus stands in our place. Now, how does this message shape us as we go, as we're going? A few things, a few thoughts here as we end. As one, as we go through life, let this good news, this message, knowing it begins with God, it's about his standing in our place and not about us. Let that be, you, let that be the experience that you dwell on, that you think on, that you look at and say, God, I can't believe you would do this for me. And not just the cliche way. Brendan Manny says this, when, your religious views, uh, when the religious views of others interpose between us and our actual experience of Jesus as our Savior, we become unconvicted and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never visited. Listen, God doesn't call us to go and peddle some religious thing that we ourselves have not experienced. So some of us need to take some time and reflect and actually stop for the very first time and say, God, I am sorry that I have tried to be good enough to earn your salvation. Or I am sorry that I've said I am not good enough for you because I keep making the message about me. Some of us need to take some time and say, God, I am so grateful that you are good and it comes from you. I'm grateful that the good news is that the story is yours and not me. And reflect on that. Let that shape you. I remember a time when I was uh, a youth pastor and we were having a time of worship and we were singing a song about the arms of Jesus stretched out for us. And I had this image that God was stretching out his arms and I was thinking of all the sin in my life. And I pictured Jesus saying like, Ryan, would you quit thinking that, I would, that you've got to get rid of that before I'll do this? And it was this weird moment where he's just saying, I know you are an idiot and you continue you will be. But my arms are stretched out with love. And that will never change. When you can experience that, we're not like travel agents trying to sell something to a place we've never been. Let the gospel really soak in and change who you are. Think of how that, and think about God's great gift. The other thing, let the gospel change your view of other people. Let's look at people with compassion that Jesus looked at. When he looked at the crowds, he felt compassion. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I see crowds, I don't feel compassion. (laughs) Just talk to me around Christmas season when I have to go get something. (laughs) I'm not walking in there with the heart of Jesus going like, oh, my heart breaks for these people. Just like, man, why is everyone out? Get them out of my way. Can we walk through life with compassion that Jesus walks through? The people you interact with, can you learn to walk with compassion? Looking at them and saying, I may not like them very much, but somehow my creator loves them just as much as me. And some days, maybe more. (laughs) No. Can we learn to let the message of the gospel be that he loves those people? I love this quote about Jesus. David Platt said, Jesus is so different from us. When he, with the task of taking the gospel to the world, he just wandered the streets and the byways. All he wanted was a few men who would think as he did, love as he did, and see as he did, teach as he did, and serve as he did. All he needed was to revolutionize the hearts of a few, and they would change the world. Can we learn to walk as Jesus did, see as he did, hear as he did, and let our hearts be revolutionized as we go that way? Good news is that Jesus wants that in us and in those we interact with. And just a final reminder, I'm going to invite the worship team to make their, start making their way up. Let the good news, and I've said this already, but let the gospel be about God. When you think of how it shapes you, come on up, let it be about God. It's God's story. Let it be about him. And as you go, take yourself out of the equation. Now, we're going to talk in a few weeks about different ways and things that are helpful in when we're bringing this message of good news. The good news that said Jesus will stand in your place for you no matter what. But let's be honest. We all have different gifts as we look at this. We all have different convictions of how we can do this. But when we let the story be about God, you can allow your expression of how you communicate this to be good enough. Some of you may feel like God wants you to stand on the street corner and preach the name of Jesus. And you know what? If that's you, great. Let it be you with joy. Tell the world the good news of Jesus with joy. Some of you actually feel like you should do that. I'm cool with that. I am horrible at that. I remember in college we'd do things like uh, where we, and even when I was a youth pastor, we'd take students and do evangelism on the street, like meet people and tell them about Jesus. I hated that. I hated it. Do I think it was good to do? Yeah, I think it was great to do. I saw people accept Christ through that. They said, "Is that the message I wanted?" But that wasn't me. I wasn't good at it. I thought it was a good practice, but some people thrive there. Don't feel like you can't do that if that's you. Some of you, the best you can do is maybe buy a latte for the person behind you in line. And you say, I know that's not good enough, God. No, no, no. Take your name out of the equation. If you feel like God wants you to bless someone, bless them. And trust that God is big enough to handle their salvation. You don't have to do it. I have a friend who's a lead pastor at a church. And he accepted Christ. I kid you not. He used to be a, tr- a musician, traveled with a lot of big bands. In the course of one month, he had a bunch of people come to him and say, Hey, I want you to know Jesus loves you. That was it. The final time he was standing in a bathroom at a urinal, somebody came and stood next to him, sorry for the gr- it's just true, and said, hey man, I want you to know Jesus loves you. He said, what is going on? <laughs> he accepted Christ and is now a lead pastor at a church, changing, uh, and God's using him. I don't care, if you feel like that's what God wants you to do, let that expression be good enough. Take yourself out of the equation and would you trust that the gospel is about God and that he can do the work? But here's the thing. Don't say no when you feel like God wants you to do so. And when you say yes, don't say, oh God, I know, I'm not good enough for it. Like, no, you're not. We already know that. He knows that. (laughs) Don't tell him something he already knows. (laughs) Just say, God, this is what I can offer. Some of you will have opportunities, and I hope that all of us one day have an opportunity to pray with someone and see them enter, give their faith, put their faith in Jesus and trust Jesus to be good enough. I hope you all have that experience to have those real conversations. But remember, the gospel is the news about Jesus. It's not about us or our goodness. It's not our works, not our words. It's a message that, God's, that says that God cares, he saves, he provides a way. And there's no power on earth below or heaven above that will separate anyone from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the message that we celebrate. And so as we end, we're going to end with, with a song or two that are all about saying, God, you know what? You are the one we're talking about here. You are the good news. And I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. So stand where you are right now. And let me just pray for you and for me. And let us be a community right now of people who would learn to get out of the way and say, God, we trust that you are good enough. And maybe some of you this morning needed to the first time say, God, I've been trying to be so perfect or I've been saying I'll never be worthy, get over yourself. Jesus is enough for you. And the people you interact with this week are loved by your God. Would you let God be the good news through you? Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you that this message is really, it's about you. And we're not even in this equation. Lord, I'm so grateful for how big you are. I'm so grateful that you were enough to cover my sins and the sins of everyone I encounter. God, and I pray that as I go, as my brothers and sisters here go, Lord, that we would be so wrapped up in the fact that this is your story, that that would shine through in the ways that you have created us. Lord, in the conversations we have with others, let it communicate your love and grace and that you are enough. God, so would you speak to us now? And as we end, Lord, with worship, Lord, we're lifting you up because we recognize, Lord, this is your story. So we thank you for your story now. Give you this time.